Today's Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs. That's exchange-traded funds right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. That's with no commission fees or account minimums. So if you're looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to totalsoccer.robinhood.com. That's totalsoccer.robinhood.com. Link will be in the show notes. Here's the disclaimer. All investments involve risk. You knew that though, right? This is not investment advice. It's not a recommendation or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who I'll soon be sharing a hotel room with for, I want to say, five days. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Five whole days. Not the most we spent, not the least we spent either. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. So we are going to the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Our third one. In Baltimore. Yep. Um, I will say you are a very good hotel roommate. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That, as are you, my friend. I there think we go. Music is played if music needs to be played. Uh, we, we, both, share, we share musical tastes more or less as well. We right? share a mutual hatred of the trend of having the like farm door that rolls across to be the bathroom door. Just that doesn't put, work. Put a proper door on yeah. it. Doors were invented a long time ago and perfected a long time ago. A, a hotel manager once told me that all hotel bathrooms are designed by men and it's really, really clear. That's uh-huh. a, I feel like that's another good example of like, oh, that looks aesthetically cool. Why not? And in reality, it does not serve the purpose. <laughs> The door is intended to serve. So we're excited about the convention, not just the hotel stuff, but the... Uh, I think we should just keep alluding to bathroom uh, <laughs> behavior. Getting to meet no? all kinds all right. of people at the convention yep. in Baltimore. It's always a great time. Um, also, on the drive up there, we're going to do our annual Ask Us Anything show. Is it an annual thing now? It is. A lot so, of traditions all of a sudden established. So we're going to put it out on Twitter, and we're going to invite listeners to ask us anything, anything about the show, right? About how we record the Total Sock Show, what we're doing. I'm sure there'll be questions about why we joined the Athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, happy to talk cancer, ostomies, soccer. Happy to talk why cancer. Why not? Yeah, why not? Um, so, yeah, we're going to put that tweet out tonight. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to find it and to ask us a question, ask us anything. And almost the most exciting thing is we'll be recording this in the car yep. for the second time ever. It'll be an on-the-move TSS. On the, hopefully on the move. We'll see if 95 cooperates. Yes, right. uh, spoiler alert, it will not. Yeah, we'll either be going 70 miles an hour or one mile an hour. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a long Ask Us Anything episode. It sure is. Today, mm-hmm. we're taking listener questions. We are. Uh, so if we you, have. people have gone to totalsockshow.com slash questions, ask us a question. It's in the hopper. It's in the question hopper. And we've chosen seven from the hopper today. Um, are you ready, Taylor, for I, the first one? I am ready. The first question comes from Michael Bite, uh, or Bate, who asks, who is the best player to have never received a cap for their respective national team? I've done some thinking about this. Mm-hmm. I've got quite a few answers, but I think the very best answer is Mikel Arteta. Yes. It's Mikel Arteta, mm-hmm. right? Um, so obviously he's recently become the Arsenal manager, so he's in the spotlight. I think even if that hadn't happened and he wasn't in the headlines, I still would have said Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I think so, because like as soon as that question came in, that was the one that came to mind because yep. there was that conversation when he was in his prime ish era when he moved from Everton to Arsenal there were the conversations about maybe he'll end up representing England even though I think that was not actually possible according to FIFA law there's a lot of home nations negotiations would have had to happen yeah exactly but uh, there was some speculation then because he wasn't getting called in to Spain despite coming through through the Barcelona Academy but never really made it in because they were very very good that's the reason as well right it's because Mikel Arteta was up against Xavi Iniesta, Busquets, Fabregas, mm-hmm. Chavi Alonso, and many more. Javi Martinez is a, is another one. Chavi Alonso, and I also think the fact oh, that he the fact that he left Spain and he went to play for I want to say Rangers first in Scotland and then Everton in England. Mm-hmm. It's just out of the spotlight, right? There's so many good Spanish players in La Liga. I think they kind of thought of him as this weird 
oh, he's all the way over there. And then yes. you, when you add in that, like, for Everton, he's not playing in the Champions League, he's not get the limelight's not on him, and there's an easy argument for not calling him up, mm-hmm. right? And then, here's my guess, once he moves to Arsenal, he's in his late 20s, and they're probably thinking, we've never called him up, why do it now? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, why not give those opportunities to other younger players yeah. who could potentially come through? It is still strange because normally you would maybe give that player, if they were like a long-serving uh, servant, yeah. then you'd give them an opportunity. But I guess if he's never made an appearance, then he's not a long-serving mm-hmm. servant by definition. So that uh, further explains it. And he's also somewhat disconnected, right? Mm-hmm. He's not going to be in contact with Spanish coaches and such because he's spending all his time right. in Glasgow, on Merseyside, and yeah. then in London. And I think it's more slightly more confusing with Mikel Arteta because that's the Premier League sort of in the area era that we know it today of being this very strong, lots of money, lots of TV rights, everybody cares about the Premier League. Whereas another player who never played for their national team, Paolo Di Canio, he moves to the Premier League, but maybe at a time when it's not quite as glamorous, where it's not quite as big of a move maybe as yeah. it would have been nowadays. So Paolo Di Canio never got capped no. for the Italian national team. I think, again, there's a lot of talent in his way. Yes. Right? I mean, starting with 94 when he would have been like 26, you look at that squad, there's a lot of talent in there. Yeah. Roberto Baggio. Yeah. He's probably going to go ahead of Paolo Di Canio there's in my mind. There's an of Baggio, of Christian Vieri, yep. of Pippo Inzaghi, and mm-hmm. then you've got what, Del Piero and yep. Totti, uh, the eventual eventual World Cup winning uh, strikers, uh, come in. So yeah, there's, basically there's a talent issue. Like, is he even good enough to uh, to be a starting striker for Italy? Probably not ever, but then you would think he'd maybe be on the fringes. I went and looked at his goal-scoring record mm-hmm. in Italy. He was never that good. That's he always scored thing, yeah. five or six goals a season, and then he moved over um, to, to the UK. Mm-hmm. right? And I think if you're playing for Sheffield Wednesday, I think he played for Celtic for a season, mm-hmm. Sheffield Wednesday, um, and then obviously West Ham, again, these aren't Champions League teams, especially not um, Sheffield Wednesday and West Ham. Not so much. So they're not, they're not, he's not playing against Juventus in a round of 16 and catching the attention of Italian media. media. So there's no big campaign to get Di Canio on the Italian national team. Yeah, and then to your point, even when he is playing for those bigger Italian clubs, maybe he's scoring a couple goals here and there, but there's also players who did make that Italian squad who are scoring 50, 60, 70 goals in their career yes. for one club. Yeah it's going to get a little bit more attention. They're going to be a more natural selection. Yep. The one I would like to ask you about, do you have anything else about Paolo Di Canio? Um, just the, then there's the, the type of player he was, which yep. was somewhat mercurial, right? Mm-hmm. He was, we called him in England. That's a, a very generous way of putting it. A match yes. of the day player. Okay. Meaning if you just see his highlights, mm-hmm. he's magnificent. But there are also some stretches where he didn't contribute much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own version of that as a match of the day player, which is that he's always going to give you something. It might be an amazing goal or an amazing run, but then there might also be some incidents where you end up talking oh, yeah. about him on match of the day. Uh-huh. Do you remember the one where he refused... Or he like demanded to be substituted and sat down. Like the, all of those incidents are kind yeah. of odd and a little bit strange. Yep. Obviously, his political leanings probably factor into that as well. Uh, slash, like kind of outright fascism. Is that where we are with him yeah. and Lazio? I mean, so, yeah, but he got more popular afterwards. Yeah, I, I guess that doesn't really <laughs> maybe matter so much for national team purposes. But it's why I never played him in my national team. Darryl. There we go. That yes. makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> but the question, the player I wanted to ask you about was Steve Bruce. Oh yeah, because in my mind, He's that's my a, that's a player who. Could have been playing for England, was good enough, was playing for Manchester United at a time when that meant something. So Mm -hmm. my question for you is, why then wasn't Steve Bruce a player with at least one cap? Yeah, and to make the case, we've just talked about Arteta being in a foreign country Mm -hmm. and uh, Di Canio being in a foreign country and maybe out of sight, out of mind. Steve Bruce in the early 90s was the captain and possibly best defender on the best team in the country Mm -hmm. and never got an England cap. It is. It's actually mind blowing that he never he never ever got one. I I've, my my only possible attempt at an explanation, and this is not researched at all. It's just a guess. Is it similar to like Chris Smalling with Manchester United, where maybe he's just not good in terms of what the manager was looking for in that moment? I think that's possible. So Chris Smalling famously Gareth Southgate said, "I'm not going to select him anymore because he's not that good playing mm. the ball out of the back." Right. If I had to guess with Steve Bruce, it would be about pace. Okay. He was never very quick. That was never ever his game. And so Graham, T- so Bobby Robson was the coach up until 90 then Graham Taylor comes in afterwards and I think it, there must be something like that where it, Graham Taylor probably had a profile of player he wanted to select and Steve Bruce possibly for not being quick enough did not fit that profile um, there's also I think a famous story of uh, Steve Bruce being offered an England cap by Terry Venables mm-hmm. um, who came in uh, just after 94 um, but it was, essentially it was towards the end of Bruce's career it was a sympathy cap and Bruce said I don't want Sympathy cap. I want your sympathy cap. I wanted to have been selected when nice. I was one of the best defenders yeah, in the country. Yeah. That seems fair. Mm-hmm. That seems like a fair thing to yeah. want. And Steve Bruce also says uh, he ran into Bobby Robson mm-hmm. um, in Benfica, weirdly. I guess they were just hanging out for, for some reason. And Bobby Robson said, I should have given you a cap. And Steve Bruce 
didn't say to Bobby Robson, but said to himself, it's no good to me now. Yeah, could have, would have, should have, man. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. That, that totally makes up for me not being called in for many, many years. Yeah. Awesome. I'd have made him take me to a shop and buy a hat right now. <laughs> you put that on my head. Yeah. And then maybe we'll be on our way <laughs> on the road towards forgiveness. We'll see. I've got a current one for you. What you got? Amirik Laporte. Hmm. Amirik Laporte still does not have a national team cap. And that would be for France, correct? Yeah. That, it always throws me That's for a minute because I, I think he's – I always think he's Spanish. I yep. don't know why. It's because he's Basque and mm. the Basque region um, crosses over from France right. into Spain. I mean he came up in Spain, right? But mm. he, uh, he always identified as French. And I think he's been through some French youth teams. But he's, uh, and I think he's been called up to the occasional French national team. Still hasn't gotten a cap. There's a danger he goes his whole career without a cap because there's so many – good up-and-coming mm-hmm. uh, French centre-backs. Um, but at the same time, he's playing for Manchester City. France seem interested. Maybe when he's not injured at some point, Emeric Laporte will probably get a cap for France. Was he one of the, the people who would have been caught up by France? Either, I can't remember if it was Euro 2016 or the 2018 World Cup when they just had like a run of injuries to centre-backs. And I think maybe he was injured at that time as so. well. So that maybe would have been the time that you would have seen him get called in. But yeah. due to injury, he didn't. And maybe now they've found some other people. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, that more, is surprising. It's more of a temporary anomaly. Yes. I think that Emmerich Laporte doesn't have a national team cap. We've got any more, any more for the list before we move that, on to the next question? Those are the three that I had. I did All not right. have Emmerich Laporte. I mean, lots of players don't get national team caps, but this I think those are some of the more notable mm-hmm. ones. Uh, next question comes from Matt Koss. Matt Koss wants to know, what is the prime age for a soccer player? I think it tends to move around a little bit, but I think for my mind, it's usually like 26 to 29 is about where I would put it on as the prime of a player. But that might be a kind of outdated thing because it does seem like we're trending younger and younger. I think that's right. I think people used to say like 28, yeah. and I think now it's more like 25. And yeah. I've, I've got some evidence to back this up okay. if you're willing to hear it. I am willing to hear it, but I will say it, it is one of those situations in which I still think it's 26 to 28, and then I'm like, but... A player who's 21 and has not yet made a senior appearance, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. So then I'm suddenly thinking, maybe it's a little bit younger than 26 or 28. That person could still say to you, I'm a professional footballer, mate. I mean, clearly not good <laughs> enough. <laughs> you could say, are you there? <laughs> um, here's like, my anecdotal evidence, yep. and I've got some actual research to, to back it up. Um, mid-20s, I want to say 25. If you think of players that we still think of as really good now, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Aiden Hazard, you could look at their their twenty five year, their twenty fifth year, their twenty sixth year as their peak. Mm-hmm. So in his mid twenties, Ronaldo, it was that when he was just destroying everybody for Manchester United and then making that big move to Real Madrid. I would argue that's peak Ronaldo. Okay. Um, Aiden Hazard, uh, he's twenty nine now. About five, four, five years ago, uh, the twenty fifteen is when he was Premier League Player of the Season and basically. Almost won the Premier League single, not single-handedly, single-dribbledly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do. And like, Eden Hazard is a fine footballer now, mm-hmm. but I think mid-20s was his peak. So my, my guess is... Don't, don't tell Florentino Perez. Right, that. yeah. My sense is that uh, 25 is when you've still got your maximum athletic attributes. You haven't lost any speed. You're about as strong as you're ever going to get. Mm-hmm. But you've also got enough professional football experience and know-how and you've been coached in certain things this like you've got the, you've got the knowledge essentially and you've got the physical attributes and I think 25 is when those things are in perfect balance here's what I'll say Darrell we're going to do some hilarious role play Sam a 25 year old asked me if I want to play soccer today you want to play soccer today yeah sure now Sam a 27 year old asked me if I want to play soccer today you want to play soccer today yeah that's the difference right there for me. It's like when you're like, yeah, totally, no problem, versus like, ah, I'm a little hurt. Like, I feel but, it a little bit from when we played wait, last time. <laughs> isn't, but that's not our professional player, Probably not, no. Right? No. And I'm thinking back to you and I have like been through this in Richmond. Yeah. I, I had a spell when I was playing every night and every yeah. weekend mm-hmm. in my 20s. But it's not that – I definitely got to a point when maybe I was 30. I still could have done it physically. But I just had other responsibilities, mm-hmm. right? So I guess that's, that's more of an amateur part, thing. Yeah, but, but I think I think it's these, more these professional guys. They <laughs> they can't be like oh, I'm not feeling it today. Well, I guess what I mean more is like there there comes that time when like it's not the automatic. Like, yeah, two games in one day. Why not? Versus like ah, I already played one, yeah, and like yeah. the hips hurt a little bit. Like <laughs> I just think of it a little bit that way. But that might be more amateur soccer than professional when they have millions and millions of dollars <laughs> dedicated to their uh, fitness and treatment. Luckily. Mm-hmm. Um, a PhD economist. Are you implying that yours is more scientifically proven than mine? I mean, it, it seems so. Yeah, we'll it find out. So. We'll find out. A PhD economist, Dr. Safi Dendir, 
um, who studies at Radford University. Oh. He teaches, excuse me, at Radford University. Viaison. Here in Virginia. Um, wrote an, like an economic paper from, a, you know, from an economist standpoint. Took all the who scored ratings, who scored.com, which I think is like up to data, converted into one to 10 ratings for a player in each game from 2010 to 2015. And here's a quote from his abstract. Um, the results show that the average professional soccer player peaks in terms of their who scored score between the ages of 25 and 27. Hmm. In the preferred models, the average forward peaks at 25, whereas the typical defender peaks at 27. For midfielders, the estimated peak age varies by model, but still occurs in the 25 to 27 age band. So those numbers make sense to me, but also the varying by position makes sense mm-hmm. to me, right? Okay, yeah, absolutely, because it has always been the case when tra- talking about how it varies by position that goalkeepers, there's no like sure age when they're in their prime because yeah. they tend to play so long. I do have a theory about that. We always kind of assume it's like, oh, they don't have to like run as much. So there's not as much contact. I, I look at goalkeepers and what they have to do in order to be a goalkeeper and how much core strength and like, like plyometrics and Pilates and everything else it requires. And I yeah. just think they're probably some of the fittest players on the team in terms of core strength. Absolutely. Being able to pop right back up and keep playing. Yeah. I have to believe that factors into it just a little bit. I would also guess that experience factors into being a goalkeeper mm-hmm. even more so than yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right? I yeah. think you just learn a little each time you play. Right? But it is also the case. De- I don't have any evidence for yeah. that, but that feels right to no, me. No, I think that's probably true. And then it is, that said, it is still the case that you're not sprinting all over the place. I have known yeah. lots of good goalkeepers, and I've known lots of good goalkeepers who were very, very slow. <laughs> that's true. Pace is not really not an so issue, much. right? Mm-mm. Unless it's like you're coming off your line. Unless you're get getting lobbed, through. and then it's hilarious. Oh. And, and, you and you don't really need outfield skills like people talk about because David Ospina um, is a, a perfectly professional <laughs> footballer. Don't fake a growth turn. Don't fake a growth <laughs> turn. Do send us questions like Shreyas Romani did. Shreyas asks, Manchester United, Man City, Chelsea, Tottenham, and Arsenal are either in the beginning or middle stages of a rebuilding, reloading period of sorts. Which team's fans should be most optimistic at the moment and which team's fans should be most pessimistic? So I've basically ranked these. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess we're somewhere in the same order. Okay. I have gone most optimistic mm-hmm. should be Manchester City. Okay. The reason being, they have money. They're on a bit of a downturn this year, but they have money to spend, and indications seem to be they'll spend in the summer. And assuming Pep Guardiola stays, he has a vision, he has his whole team in place in terms of like the executives above him and his coaching staff and all that. Um, and he can just sort of re implement the vision, re up, reload for next season, mm-hmm. right? I think. Short-term, Man City are going to get back on track faster than any of these other teams, right? I had the, I had it as like Man City and Chelsea and a sort of one-two group, and you could really talk me into either one of them being first or second. Okay. Because with City, there's they still didn't need to reinvest. There's some questions about how motivated the team is now that the Premier League seems lost to them this season. Still have the Champions League, but Pep Guardiola's contract is kind of looming. Those are the only real negatives I could see. Yeah, assuming Guardiola stays, yeah. uh-huh. I think they should be the most optimistic right. in the near term. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go straight to least optimistic, okay. and then we'll talk about the teams in the middle afterwards. I'm going to say Spurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Spurs just reached the end of an era. I had them the second bottom, but I'll end go with of you. the Christian Eriksen era. And I think the mistake that was made, maybe against Pochettino's wishes, was to um, hold on to players when it was time to let go. Yes. Christian Eriksen maybe should have been sold last yeah. year. Alderweireld, um, Vertonghen, the same. Yep. Yeah, but instead they keep like persuading players who didn't really want to sign new contracts to sign new contracts. Or not persuading them and not signing new contracts, yeah. but they're just still there. Exactly, yep. they're still there. And then like Kyle Walker was let go, and you wouldn't argue they've replaced him with an equal really good right Danny back. Rose has publicly wanted away for I believe seven seasons now yeah so I feel like it needs like a major overhaul because that era is hmm. coming to an end and there's no guarantee that that major overhaul goes well right so that's hmm. why I would be least optimistic if I'm a Spurs fan and also just to put this all in context these are all like top six teams right mm-hmm. so in terms of least optimistic they're still doing better than most other teams this right? is very true before all the Spurs fans come after me you're still a very good team Spurs I'm aware of of my fandom bias here probably making me more dramatic why did you have Spurs below Manchester United whom I'm going to assume are your second bottom. Because I would argue that Manchester United, um, unlike uh, Spurs and like some other teams, they do actually seem to have, at least under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a, an identity and a plan in place. Um, I don't know how long it'll last, but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer knows what he wants, right? He knew that he didn't want Romelu Lukaku. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew that he didn't want Chris Smalling. He knows that he wants sort of pacey counter-attacking players up front. I feel like he has a profile and he sort of he knows what he thinks the mentality of the team should be. 
and I really think he's got something he's building towards and he's maybe not that far from getting there. So okay. that's what would make me optimistic about uh, Manchester United. But I still put them very much in the middle pack. Mm-hmm. For Chelsea, I'm worried that the optimism and good vibes you're feeling right now are a result of Frank Lampard um, going with all those young players, having and having to kind of having to go with all those young players because of the transfer embargo. Mm-hmm. Now the transfer embargo is list- lifted. I'm worried that Chelsea could ruin it by spending money. Yeah, but I think the good vibes could be going. But, but now you're moving into like what might happen. Yeah. Whereas I, I'm going to stick with like optimism, which fans should be the most optimistic, and that they brought in a club legend to take over. There were question marks about how well that was going to go. It seems like it's gone okay. It seems like the tactics have worked, and he's proven himself to be an adept manager thus far, at least. Combined with that was with all the kids. Now the transfer window's open. We'll see what happens. I yeah. think Chelsea fans have reason for a lot of optimism. Yes, it could end up blowing up in their faces if they go out and sign three players that they shouldn't have signed and it ruins Tammy Abraham's confidence and they don't re-sign this player or they lose that player. There are possibilities, but I think they, to me, are a club in a very strong position right now. Then we'll see what happens uh, come February 1st. I mean, I I think they might still be a fun team, Mm -hmm. but I'd be worried that Frank Lampard is a bit too open and a bit too um, idealistic. Like I love watching them. Chelsea are my favorite team to watch right now. Like. Pulisic's on there, but also they're always enjoyable. I'm not sure in terms of winning trophies that that's necessarily going to be all that successful, but they are appointment television viewing. So I guess it depends what you want as a Chelsea fan. If you want an exciting team, Mm -hmm. definitely be optimistic. But if you want like a guarantee of grinding out a bunch of trophies, I wouldn't be that optimistic. I I would be fairly optimistic if I were an Arsenal supporter, I think, just because... Is this a recent feeling with Arteta? I think so. Just, I mean, me. and it's not even like born of he's come in and turned them around, and they're obviously going to be a much much better team. I think they will, but it's not even that. It's just that they've sort of made the decision. Whereas, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Man United, I don't think they're going to sack him. I don't see why they would. But it feels like there are lots of question marks around that club. Tottenham the same. That like is Mourinho the manager for the future? Do we have the squad? Do we need to sell people? Are they going to be able to bring in people because Daniel Levy is Daniel yeah. Levy? Whereas Arsenal, I think it's like we've brought in the manager. Everybody seems to have gotten on board with that from from. Day one of him coaching, I've seen Arsenal fans just be like, this is it. Yeah. This is totally different. This is wonderful. You look at the way that he's starting to get them to play. It seems like they're yeah, we gelling. Bro- we broke down the goal right? yeah. at, um, on the weekend review, mm-hmm. and you can see the like the tenets of what Mikel Arteta wants all in that Aubameyang goal mm-hmm. against Crystal Palace. And this might not make sense. He doesn't so want slight tackles on ankles, by the way. This, okay, but like I feel like... Sometimes when you get rid of the like continental manager, clubs will bring in like Duncan Ferguson, who's just like we're going to go out there, we're going to work really, really hard, and with that comes this like we're just going to put like everybody back where they should be playing. We're going to go with a basic formation, and there tends to be that bounce, and it's like oh, all they needed was a little like tough love and motivation that way. Mikel Arteta has kind of done that. Like I feel like he's he's just been like yeah, Pepe plays wide. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to have Pepe, Aubameyang, and Lacazette in the like the front three. That's how we're going to play. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense and has made sense so far. I would say that we both feel optimistic about Arteta but there might be a recency bias about that certainly, maybe at certainly. the end of the season we can make a more sober judgment on Mikel Arteta mm-hmm. but I suspect we'll still be saying the same thing yeah. and I'm basing that a lot of what other coaches and people around football have to say about Mikel Arteta it's all positive right there's very little evidence that he's just a chancer who got lucky mm-hmm. the last few weeks did we cover every team there yeah I believe so but okay. it just I go back to who should be optimistic and I think Mikel Arteta with kind of the background in coaching he has and the fact that Arsenal went for him over like Carlo Ancelotti who was available in that moment I have questions about him so I think uh, Arsenal fans should be pretty pumped as should Chelsea as should City Tottenham and Man United fans may be uh, the opposite of that <laughs> okay today's show is sponsored by Hello Fresh. Get mouthwatering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with Hello Fresh, America's number one meal kit. If a Hello Fresh box is coming to your door, you can be optimistic about your future. You can indeed. You can be optimistic. You can be optimistic about breaking out of your dinner rut with Hello Fresh's 22 plus seasonal chef curated recipes that are available each week. Uh, my wife made uh, a Hello Fresh meal last night. I messaged her before we started recording to ask what her favorite things were about it. She went with. She's given us free copy points? She is. I mean, she's gone with some of the things that are sort of copy points about the simplicity, about the recipe card, about how there's images, about how it's all pre-measured. She likes all that. But uh, to quote her, uh, I like that they put the little bottles, I like the little bottles that they put the vinegar and honey into. I think they're very cute. And they do do that. They don't just send you like a weird little plastic container that has the exact amount of vinegar you need. It's a little tiny bottle that fits exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. And I do like that they've kind of gone that customized route. So the pre-measured idea here is it's what really makes me feel 
relaxed. There's never like, did I put too much of that yeah. in? Did I not put enough of that in? That it, I don't know if that just hits me right, mm-hmm. but it, it always means that you've got the correct amount. Yeah. I'm definitely someone who pours too much in all the time. I, I, I can't I've, do it with HelloFresh. I vacillate between the two and then I get nervous about like, well, I put too much of that in, but not enough of this in. So now I've got to balance with this thing. And then, yeah, then you're in your head and you're worrying about various ingredients versus, oh, wait, it's burned. So I think because everything's pre-measured, you can just focus on the actual cooking and you end up producing a more high-quality dish. And if you want to do that, HelloFresh is now from $5.66 per serving. All you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS10 and use code TSS10, that's one zero, during HelloFresh's New Year's sale, and you'll get 10 free meals, including free shipping. One more time, that's HelloFresh.com slash TSS10, and the code is TSS10 during HelloFresh's New Year's sale for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show. Daryl, we've got more questions to answer. Where should we go next? Let's go with Michael Hastings Black. Michael Hastings Black is asking, why is Brett Shea a punching bag on U.S. men's national team Twitter? First of all, Michael Hastings Black needs to be a like member of the landed aristocracy in England because he needs to be Lord Michael Hastings Black. Lord Hastings Black, come on. That, yeah. that feels like a person who's been in charge of your country for 400 years. Yeah, well, I've heard, what, uh, Sussex might be available. <laughs> Topical. Um, yeah, in terms of Brett Shea being a punching bag on USMT Twitter, I think there are varying reasons for it. And they are... I have a list and it's ended up being really long. It scares me. All right, let me ask you this then. Like the very basic question, is it more on-field or off-field stuff that you think makes him a punching bag? More on-field. Okay. But the off-field stuff contributes. I agree. Okay. All right. So what, what is the list you've got here then? I'm excited to hear it. Um, so I think – Or do you want me to give a, a quick gist and then you can go in detail? Let's do that. Yeah. I, think, I think it's essentially um, like my brief gist of his career would be – promising like attacking player we saw him in the january camp i always go back to that video where he's like very monosyllabic and doesn't really want to talk to anybody even though dax mccarty is doing his best and that was sort of the start for me with him then he goes to stoke it's all conflicted about can he get a work permit he doesn't end up playing there's the thing where he flicks off his own fans while he's on loan at the championship and it becomes more of a distraction sideshow than a he's on the field performing and then even when he comes back we don't know where he fits in best. We don't know what position he's best at. There's the conversation of can he run in not straight lines. There's the game that I missed. I think I was in Turkey at the time where you all watched it. And I believe to this day, maybe not you, but Albert, former co-host, will say that's the worst performance he's ever seen oh, in a U.S. National, national Team yeah, jersey. It was, it was and I think so you start to get those moments. He becomes more of a journeyman. And then it ends up being sort of a journeyman who never found that much success didn't have a strong national team career, but kept getting those chances, so kept remaining visible, and then had a strange public persona with green pants and holding uh, assault rifles in photos. Uh, yeah, so I'd frame it similarly. I, I think the um, the public persona allows him to be the punching bag, yep. right? Like, he's, like, tall. He's always got a weird haircut. Yeah, sometimes he wears weird pants. It's kind of arty, right? does a lot mm-hmm. of um, artistic work. He's not great on camera. He doesn't seem fully uh, comfortable, which I don't think anyone should be um, targeted for, but I think it, it doesn't help, right? But then I think the bigger problem is that Breck Shea represents the, um, the famous lost generation, hmm. right? Of players that we thought were going to be good, and then it turns out they weren't quite good enough for us to have a successful U.S. men's national team. Brickshire is 29 right now. He's one of those players that should have been in their peak during, say, the 2017 World Cup qualifying and 28 World Cup. Instead, his career had somewhat tanked, right? So it starts in MLS where yeah. he is dominating for FC Dallas. He is kind of unplayable, right? It's a mix of... Uh, strength and speed and determination, scoring a bunch of goals, right? And it really looks like, oh, Brexit could be mm. like one of the key U.S. national team players. Then, like you said, he goes over to uh, the Premier League. I think he gets three games for Stoke, a few games for Barnsley, a few games for Birmingham, but it's no more than 10 games for each team. And he's almost kind of laughed out of England. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems that ever since he came back, after failing to make it in Europe, which I think is a big part of this story... He's never then rebounded with like being super impressive in Major League Soccer. If anything, he's like what a serviceable yeah. backup left back for Atlanta United at this point. So that's my my. So this is longer than a gist, right? Yeah, but my fine. my theory is that he's an easy target because of the way he um, carries himself, yeah. essentially, which isn't his fault. I feel like anyone should be able to do mm-hmm. look and dress and do art however they want to do. But then on top of that, people are angry about this lost generation thing. And even if that's not quite how they articulate it, Breck Shea very much represents a player that should have been a big deal and should have been one of those players carrying the national team. Yeah, I, I, I've 
I would agree with that. Uh, I have a question for you at the end of this. But I would say like he starts off with like the hype being really, really high. And the and hype then, was real. Yeah. Because those were impressive performances. And then he doesn't justify the hype. And you have to have uh, – there's almost this balance you need to have of it needs to be on-field performance is such that off-field distractions or whatever, even if they're there, even if you're aware of them, they don't really factor more than yeah. the on-field performance. But with Shea, when he comes back to Major League Soccer, as you said, he never really finds that moment where it's like he's unplayable again or he's the key performer for this team. He had a couple games here and there, but it wasn't this conti- consistent stretch yeah. of months. And so the performance dips down, the off-field goes up, and if that kind of balance is always there, then it's always going to be like, oh, we're going to sign Breck Shea. Oh, is, is he going to wear the pants? Like right. it doesn't become like, oh, where's he going to fit it? Is he going to be a left back or a left winger? Yeah. It's always about, like, is he going to have guns in the photo? And he's arguably a victim of Jurgen Klinsmann's everyone's got to go to Europe mm-hmm. uh, philosophy. Because yeah. maybe Breck Shea would have had a, um, a more successful or more celebrated career if he hadn't made a failed move to Europe, if he just been a standout player in Major League Soccer. This is a His strange... confidence would be higher at the very least. I would agree with that. And I think it's like the same time that Juan Agadelo goes to Stoke and can't get a work permit as well and or can't get a work permit at all and that becomes an issue. My question for you though, Daryl, like to your point about him being represent would you say he's representative of the last generation? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so, early, so dramatic. Early promise uh-huh. that wasn't delivered on. But is that And he's in that age range. Is that his fault? No. Like like is is that I guess what I'm saying is I totally agree with you and yet simultaneously find myself wondering if that's unfair because if everybody else had had success and he hadn't, like, would we be talking about it so much? Or is it just because that entire generation and then he has the off-field distractions that he becomes yeah, more combination front of and center? It okay. makes him more visible, right? Yeah. It's a name that you're in. But then the other thing is he's got a funny name. Honestly, I think the is reason – Dane Breckenshay? Yeah, the, mm-hmm. but Breck Shea, right? Yep. The reason he's a punchline to a joke, this famous thing in comedy, right? The K sound is funny. It's oh. just it's, – it's always funny to, like, make a joke about Breck Shea. Yeah, you know what I'm it is. And, it's and, just unfortunate in that way. And it carries over for us because uh, other former co-host, Josh, I think one time had the flip where he called him Sheck Bray. Yeah, and that became a rec- spoonerism. But it became yeah. a recurring joke for us of constantly calling him Sheck Bray. Yeah. And then I think as soon as you have the joke about the thing, it stays visible in yep. your mind. So then when Sheck Bray does something weird, Sheck Bray did something weird as yep. opposed to, oh, yeah, that guy. It's yep. sort of I what happened. that's just an example of, of how things went. We huh. had no, no malicious intent with that, right? It just it was funny to keep doing it. I don't know. Maybe Josh yeah. really didn't like Breck Shea and wanted to personally <laughs> spite him. plan all along. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Our uh, next shall. question comes from G. Rath. I'll also say to G. Rath, by the way, we received what you sent us in the mail. Thank you very much. We very much appreciate we it. We certainly do. G. Rath knows what I'm talking about. G. Rath asks, Nudes. If a player gets sold from one team to another during the transfer window, does the player get any part of the transfer fee? And the second question, is the player bound by the uh, pay and other provisions of his original contract mm-hmm. or does he renegotiate his contract? Taking the f- the second part first, um, you have to renegotiate the contract in order yeah. to move. It's not like in the, the NBA or the doesn't leagues. Exist. Right. It yeah. doesn't just transfer and then eventually yeah. you have to get a new one at some point when right before yeah. free agency. In this case, in order for the player to go, if I'm if my club is selling to Daryl's club, for that player to move to Daryl's club, Daryl and I have to agree, then the player and Daryl have to agree on personal terms. So we get this question quite mm-hmm. a lot. Is this because in a lot of American sports your yes. contract is a thing that follows you around? Yes. Okay. It, it is. Okay. And, and I think it's probably also confusing because... It's true Major League Soccer, as I understand it. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I think with like larger contracts, larger clubs, you'll hear oftentimes like, Ashley Young is going to move to Inter Milan if they can figure out his wages. Yeah. And that can be a little bit confusing because if... But he that's has, just like, about, can we pay him as much as he was getting paid before? Or how do they restructure it? But if he's making X amount of money and still has years remaining on his contract, for a lot of American sports fans, that would be like, no, why would he ever do that? He has this guarantee of a contract. Why would you give that up? Yeah. And it's because you have to in order order to sign for a new club, you, by, by necessity, by definition, have to sign yeah. a new contract. I think the easiest way to say it is your contract is with the team. It's yep. never with the league. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe why people think the right. contract might follow you around. The contract mm-hmm. is always with the team. But uh, in that negotiation, you can add clauses in. You get performance incentives and things like that. And you can, if you, I think, probably have the swagger and mm-hmm. uh, influence to do it, you can include provisions of you get a percentage of the transfer fee. I think there are uh, clauses where you can get a percentage of the sell-on fee if yeah. that ends up being the case. And then obviously like Anthony Martial, I think when he moved to United, had like three different very 
easily attainable performance incentives, but it was a, like if he scores ten goals. It was like if he scores ten goals, if he makes twenty appearances, if he went like if he plays for France, if he wins the World Cup or something like that, they yeah. went up in severity. So that but is that money to was that money to Martial or money to It was Monaco? I think it was money to Monaco, but I think okay. he may have gotten a percentage, but you can build that in so you're incentivizing the player's performance, but then also not having to pay as much up front. Okay. But I think basically if you have that reputation and agent strength, if Mino Raiola or uh, George Mendez is your agent, you can probably find a way to make that happen. But here's the important thing I think mm-hmm. for answering Girath's question um, it's not that like every time there's a transfer fee player automatically takes right. 10% mm-hmm. of that right the transfer fee is between teams the money goes from team A to team B and then if you hear that like players have got 10% of the transfer fee they haven't actually taken it from the pot of money that's going from club to club it's just like a matching amount of 10% is then given to the player as part of their essentially signing on bonus mm-hmm. right it's like an incentive to get them just a nice little bonus to get you to join the team right, right? Yeah. the money still goes from team A to team B yeah. whole you just get so you get some extra money if you've got a good agent or a lot of swagger or both. If you've got that agent. I guess you could have no swagger. Your agent's got all the swagger. <laughs> you still get the money. You do. You do. Uh, you, both, you both drive nice cars in the end. Almost certainly. <laughs> Almost certainly. Uh, Joseph Meadows, next question. What is the actual definition of a farmer's league? Uh, I've heard it said when mentioning leagues like Ligue 1, uh, but never was sure what it meant. So I researched this hard. Mm-hmm. There is no actual definition, no. right? No one ever sat down and said, here's what a farmer's league means. But here's what I think it's been taken to mean. Mm-hmm. It's been taken to mean a league where um, a lot of the teams and other players in it, apart from some of the big teams, um, are not very good. Right. The insult being that, yeah, you're, do, you're doing well for PSG, but you're playing a bunch of farmers. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's not... It's denigrating the, um, the opposition that the big teams are facing. And it's not even as much... I would, I would agree with you entirely. And it's not like in the Premier League where it's like, yeah, like Huddersfield are not going to win the Premier League, but that doesn't make them like a farmer's club. Right. It's more that... I think it comes from a lack of awareness and familiarity as well, that when you've got some of those uh, Ligue 2 Ligue teams coming into Ligue 1, that like, you don't know anything about them. They've never been there before. They're probably on tiny budgets. So it looks that much much more like there's a huge disparity and so it ends up being almost a disparaging way of saying like ah eh, that league's not as good from top to bottom yes that's and what there's it means, yeah. some people who maybe are farmers instead of being uh, full-time professional footballers yeah, it's kind of a weird insult to have chosen though yeah. right? i don't know why it became farmers league i don't know the etymology of this basically i have a question for you about that actually though because i the only thing i could think is like like there is the pejorative way i think it's pejorative of saying like it was an agricultural challenge yes, right maybe it comes of, like if that. you're saying it's a really aggressive challenge the idea being that what like if you're playing out in rural areas, they play a little bit tougher. They play no, a bit more well, aggressive. I always took it as meaning like if you've ever seen agricultural mm-hmm. equipment that's yeah. like uh, digging up the soil. You know the things – I yeah. can't remember what they're called. But you know, like a horse in the old days would pull it behind it yeah. and it would rake massive areas of soil. Mm-hmm. But it's like it gets a job done but it's kind of rough and like it's not a perfectly straight line. There's a lot of dirt flying everywhere. That's what I think of of like an agricultural challenge or agricultural football. So I agree with that. And, I think, okay. and, and I think what, what it ends up being for me is that – so you already have the idea of like – farmers agriculture as being like less than is essentially what you're coming from if you have this opinion of like oh it's a farmer's league yeah like you're not being like oh it's an industrial league <laughs> like that you don't go with that for a reason yeah. and i think part of that is because it tends to be a, an english criticism i feel like and maybe an american picking up from england that league on is a, a farmer's league yeah and i just wonder if it's because what we know about like france from like history and modern is like uh, they have like, like cows and there's like pastoral <laughs> land so it's a farm like you wouldn't say france like oh it's a cheese league they're all growing cheese in their part time I think it's an easy dismissive thing of like oh they're all probably farmers or whatever yeah. I think that's probably where it comes from a I little bit I think so bit. too I think if you conjure the image of a farmer yeah. first of all you're probably wrong I actually weirdly know quite a few farmers yeah. And none of them look how you stereotypically think they would look. No, they right? do not. They're businessmen, basically. Yes, yeah. But I think the image you get in your head um, is is of someone like overalls. Not, yeah. Like long long piece of a uh, grass or hay. True, true yeah. piece of straw. Uh, yeah, yeah, straw. Thank yeah. you. Thank, you, thank, you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that, I think <laughs> that's quite. why farmers league has become mm-hmm. the um, the pejorative that's used for. Uh, teams uh, in leagues that are not as competitive when they're playing against PSG or Juve or whatever. But it does seem to be Ligue 1, like the French league specifically. Yeah. And, and I, I don't really know why that's the case, but it does feel that way. I think because PSG have been so far ahead for such a long time. And then I guess even before that, didn't Lyon win it like seven or eight years in a row? It does, maybe the French league just lends itself to yeah. uh, dynasties. That's true. The dynasty league is what we should call it. Final question yeah. of the day goes to Raghav Gupta. Mm-hmm. Raghav asks, why are more free transfers not announced in January? So every now and then, Daryl and I will read the same question and have drastically different takes on it. I, w- oh, I wanted no. to ask you, how did you interpret this question? 
Um, I actually interpreted it two ways. Okay. Uh, the first way that Ragav could have been asking mm-hmm. is, why isn't there announced like a player is moving right now from this team to that team yeah. in January? And the answer to that is because most contracts run until June. Right. Right. Okay. So there's that. And I sort of figured that probably wasn't what Ragav was asking because it's such an obvious answer. Mm-hmm. Right. But then the other thing is a situation where like uh, a person's, a player's contract is expiring June 1st. Yeah. You're allowed to neg- start negotiating with teams January 1st. And I think Ragav might be asking, why isn't that future move, the end of the contract move that happens in June, yeah. but can be negotiated in January, why isn't that announced in January? Yes. Uh, but basically, the, the two different interpretations I had is, why don't more free transfers happen in January? Yeah. You already answered that with the first one. Most contracts expire in June. And then, yeah, the second one is why aren't more announced. And I think it's because neither side really likes that it's happening that way, almost, is the best way I can explain it. That, like, if you're assigning a player... Football fans don't delay gratification. If you're signing somebody six months from now, it's like, great, what are you doing right now? I yeah. want that player here now. You're not going to get excited about it until they're official, officially a player or as excited as you would have been. And if you're the club who's letting that player leave, you're also letting a player leave yep. in six months. So you're basically saying they're not going to be here anymore. They're no longer a long-term aspect of this squad. And also, if it's public knowledge that a player is leaving in six months, it makes the next six months very awkward for the player, for the club, for the managers. Mm-hmm. Fans feel weird. Media will point it out all the time if that player is uh, like perceived yep. to be lacking in mm-hmm. um, in effort, right? Yep. So there's all kinds of reasons. Probably a lot of stuff gets negotiated but doesn't get announced yep. because it's just awkward to announce it, right? Yeah. Two other reasons. One, the club in January could still get a fee for the player, right? Like, so Christian Eriksen is a really good example. I think he's going to get Inter, right? He seems to have negotiated a deal with Inter. But if he moves right now, Spurs will still get a little bit of money mm-hmm. from Inter. So there's a reason to not announce it is to try and just say like try and upsell say yeah but you can take him now if you give us 20 million euros Mm -hmm. right so there's that reason the other reason is if you're a player um, in January you can start negotiating but you don't have really have that deadline of January 30th or 31 I don't know how many days from January um 31, you got it right. So your deadline isn't January 31st. Your deadline really is June. So Mm -hmm. you can keep negotiating hopefully for a better deal all the way up to June. Those are both excellent answers. My only other thing I would add to them as like a third uh, little thing is that when a player moves, if – same example, uh, player leaves my my club to go to Daryl's club. Once they're at Daryl's club, they are playing for Daryl's team. They're much happier. But see, that's exactly (laughs) – we'll say for purposes of this theoretical scenario, yes – but now they're employed by you, so yeah. they will happily say, like, yeah, that never really fit for me. I never liked being on Taylor's team. Yeah. He didn't know how to properly utilize me, but Daryl, he knows how to get the best out of me. Yeah. If that player is going to move to your team in six months but has not yet moved, well, they're not going to say that same thing, so you don't get as much of a story. They're intentionally probably not going to say stuff because they don't want to ruin their remaining six months. They don't want to ruin that reputation. They also don't want to just have to go to work every day knowing that no one likes them. Yep. So I think there is like a motivation there to say as little as possible until that move actually happens. Another reason why maybe you don't get as many headlines about the free transfers in January. Yeah, we, yeah I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of transfers are agreed, free transfers are agreed in January yeah. and then happen in the summer. Yeah. They're, mm-hmm. just not, they're just not just not. I would say not even just free transfers because there's always those yeah. reports of deals that Ronaldo moving to Real Madrid that was like agreed a year in advance and yeah. they gave him one more year. I'm sure. Yeah, so I yeah. think those things do happen as well but free transfers tend to uh, happen more often than not. Thank you to everybody um, who asked us questions. Yep. Thank you especially to Michael to Matt, to Shreyas, Michael again, mm-hmm. Girath, Joseph Meadows, and Raghav Gupta. We enjoyed answering your questions. If you would like to ask us a question, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. If you support the show, uh, go to totalsoccershow.com slash join. If you support the show at $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer a question per month from you. Um, we also induct you into the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. We should add, it's blood in, blood out to get into the Scouting Network. Is that right? So yeah, that's what we do. We come to your house. Daryl roughs you up a little bit since he's the nicer one. He does it a bit more gently. <laughs> and then you're in. Surprise on we do not do that. What we do do is at any level, if you choose to support the show, we assign you a player, a young player to keep an eye on. You can give us the player you want if they're not already taken or the club that, like the club you support and we'll find one there or even just a random league or something yeah, like that. A lot of people ask for a young American, yep. which mm-hmm. is... Um, Actually, easy to find. It's it's a good time yeah. for up and coming American youngsters. Mm-hmm. 
plenty of them in today's scouting reports. Oh, yeah? But we're going to start off with Chase Poole scouting Getson Fernandez, the 20-year-old Portuguese midfielder for, I'm going to go ahead and say question mark. Okay. Uh, Getson has had a very quiet season due in part to injury and part to being out of favor with Benfica head coach Bruno Laga. Uh, his minutes have dropped to only 215 after playing 1,044 the previous season. And the arrival of Julian, uh, Julian Weigel uh, from Dortmund makes his prospects even gloomier. As a result, he's been linked with a move away with Spurs looking most likely He's reportedly due there for a medical today, okay. though it's, what, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock uh, East Coast time, so I doubt that's happening today. Maybe tomorrow he'll be announced at Tottenham. We'll there find we out. There we go. Uh, Damien Cazau is scouting Harvey Elliott, Harvey Elliott, the 16-year-old English winger for Liverpool. Damon says Elliott got his Liverpool first-team debut in the Premier League, coming on for two whole minutes in a win <laughs> over Sheffield United. He then started against Everton in the FA Cup third round, of course he did, um, and had a good overall game in the 1-0 victory for Liverpool B. Liverpool B indeed. Philip Andriani scouting Andre Green. A lot of Andres. 21-year-old English winger on loan at Charlton Athletic from Aston Villa. I haven't read. Please don't be injured. Green's loan to Preston North End was cancelled after just six appearances all season, and he was subsequently loaned to Charlton Athletic. He made his first start for his new club uh, within just a few days, playing 60 minutes in their 1-0 FA Cup defeat to West Brom. Okay, not too bad, not too bad. He's playing, even if they're losing. Nathan Heilman is scouting Tyler Boyd, the 25-year-old American winger for Besiktas. Please be good news, please be good news. Nathan says, Tyler turned a year older on December 30th and is now 25. In the past three months, he has played 91 minutes yeah. for the US men's national team, 90 of those against Cuba, and 21 minutes for Besiktas. He's constant, consistently on the bench, so at least he hasn't fallen completely out of the picture. Think, says Nathan, clutching at straws right at the end there. It was a longer reporting, which Nathan was like, I'm trying to find some positive stuff. Yeah. Like He had a birthday, so that's good. So credit to Nathan for trying to make things positive. Yes, we also, so Tyler Boyd is older than most of the players in the scouting yeah. network, but he's of special interest mm-hmm. to the US men's national team, right? That's why we have eyes on him. Certainly. Uh, Jeff Markman scouting Reese Nelson, the 20-year-old English midfielder for Arsenal. Uh, Nelson earned another start under Mikel Arteta in Arsenal's FA Cup match against Leeds this time opposite uh, Nicolas Pepe on the left wing. Uh, Nelson and the Gunners were overrun in the first half, but in the second, things changed dramatically. Arsenal came out on the front foot and attacked Bielsa's side, breaking through in the 55th minute with Nelson putting a deflected cross into the net after some good, good build-up work from Pepe and Lacazette. Overall, Nelson worked well with Ozil, Pepe, and Lacazette to form a dangerous attacking and pressing front line for Arsenal. Patrick Snyder is scouting Nick Tatagui, the 20-year-old American midfielder for Schalke. Patrick says Nick Tatagui joined the Schalke first team in Spain for their winter training cap and seems to be playing well since returning to full fitness. He debuted for the first team in a friendly against Belgium's St. Truiden, playing the second half in Schalke's 1-0 loss. The match was a reunion of Richmond, Virginia products. Um, Starting for St. Truiden was 19-year-old Chris Durkin on loan from DC United. I would have bet all the money that Chris Durkin was older than Nick Tatagui. That's insane. That is insane. I was wrong. So Uh, yeah, Nick Tatagui, if people don't know the name, he... Definitely is someone who probably would have made his debut for Schalke yep. by now, but injuries keep holding him back, holding him back, holding him back. This is good news that he's been involved with the first team um, during the winter. And also, uh, go RVA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grey Hair Gaming, scouting Indiana Vasilev, 18-year-old American midfielder for Aston Villa. All caps, senior team debut alert with an exclamation point. Uh, what a three-day span for Indiana. He made a senior team debut in the 80th minute of Villa's 2-1 loss to Fulham in the FA Cup. Luca De La Torre subbed in for Fulham four minutes later. Then two days later, uh, Indiana Vasilev started for Villa's U23s as the number nine, netting a 4-4 four, four, all caps, minute brace, uh, second and fourth minutes before subbing off in the 62nd minute in what ended up being a 4-0 win over Sunderland. Oh, Premier League debut coming soon, I think. He was on the bench against Manchester City as well. I would they, be okay with that. They didn't bring him on, I think, not to scar him because <laughs> it did not go well. <laughs> That's fair. Nick Imhoff is scouting Emmanuel Sabi, 22-year-old American attacker for Ellipses. Mm-hmm. That's not a team, it's three dots. Nick says, Sabi is reportedly going to sign a pre-contract with Danish Super League team Odense and will move there on a free transfer in the summer. Not quite the calibre of team many were hoping he would end up with, but it'll be exciting to see what the talented winger can do on a team that historically is more attack-minded than Hobro, which is where we currently is. Shots fired at Hobro. Uh, Holly Barton scouting Keaton Parks, 22-year-old American midfielder for NYCFC. NYCFC acquired Keaton Parks on a permanent transfer from SL Benfica. He joins them on a multi-year contract. Gideon Zellalem also there. Oh boy. All right. Stockpiling Vi- stockpile that American talent. They sure are. Victor Savage is scouting Ricardo <laughs> I love Kishner. this report. I love 
love it so much. It's just a long report. It is. Ricardo Kishner is a 25-year-old Dutch winger for Lazio. Happy belated birthday, by the way, to Victor Savage. And full disclosure, this I moved the order of this because I was scheduled to read this one. Based on the order we were going, I moved it up so you could read it. Because I've already read it, and I want you to enjoy it in all of its glory. Okay. Victor says, mm-hmm. I have no idea of Ricardo Kishner's current status. Uh-huh. There has been next to zero news about him, with only an article mentioning Kishner's availability to play for Suriname. The only other mentions in the past year have been random betting websites listing him as having a knee injury. Both Wikipedia and Transfermarkt don't show him in Lazio's current squad. Don't laugh, that's how you say it. But the most confusing information I could find was on Transfermarkt, where they list him as suspended from July 1st of last year to June 30th of this year. Mm -hmm. I found no results, no results to corroborate this claim. At this point, I'm not even sure if Kishner is training at all. His contract expires this June, but by the lack of news, I can only speculate that Lazio may be freezing him out of the club in anticipation of his departure in the summer. It's a mystery. And gentlemen, we have a mystery it's on a our mystery. hands. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. We so rarely get them these days. We need Benoit Blanc to get on this. <laughs> I, I would have faith in him to do it. Yep. He'd find the donut holes, my friend. Sure. David Majewski scouting Shaq Moore, 23-year-old American right back for CD Tenerife. Uh, Moore entered the pitch in the 75th minute against Albacete on January 4th and tallied his first assist of the season while on the attack in the 82nd minute. A centrally located Moore passed to his left to an advancing Alex Munoz, who took a couple touches then launched an incredible strike from long range, providing the final goal in a 4-2 victory. Moore has been a member of the matchday squad all season long, but has only subbed on a few times. I'm going to guess this is in the Segunda. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Okay. So it's kind of exciting, but yeah. also it's in the Segunda and he's on the bench. Correct. Well summarized. Mark Canterman is scouting Christian Kappis, 20 year old American midfielder for Hobro. Shots were fired at Hobro earlier. Christian Kappis, not having it. Mm-mm. Mark Canterman says he literally he t- will not let shots be fired. Oh, because we were talking about Kappis in our January camp, mm-hmm. like taking a look at the players. Mark says, in terms of style, Christian Kappis brings a combination of size and physicality to the midfield while also adding quality on the ball. Um, Kappis describes himself as a number eight who plays like a number six defensively but can also move forward and create offensive chances from deeper positions that's what I'd say about myself as well if somebody asked me I'll ask you Dara how do you think you would play as a, as a player right now if you were going to go to the national team slow centre back <laughs> be a good goalie uh, <laughs> Drew Dreek von Truen's Trammel scouting Martin Odegaard the 21 year old Norwegian attacker on loan at Real Sociedad from Real Madrid I had to put two lines in there to make all of that title happen yep. uh, Odegaard capped off a brilliant 2019 as one of the top players in La Liga during the first half of the season tallying five assists and four goals Real Sociedad sit fifth in the table during December he had an assist and a goal against I Bar gave Barcelona fits with his movement and half turns between the lines in a 2-2 draw, and then added an additional goal and assist in a 4-3 win over Osasuna. Daryl even picked Odegaard as one of his long-term Wolves targets. What higher praise can there be? I don't know the answer to that. None more. None None more more. praise. None more so. Mm -mm. James Jones is scouting Andrew Carlton, the 19-year-old American attacker for... We have another question we have another mark. another question mark. It must be January. Mm-hmm. James Jones says, It appears Atlanta United may be looking for a potential loan club for Andrew Carlton. Uh, being a loan and not a transfer would seem to say that Atlanta aren't giving up on him just yet, but they see that he needs to get away from his hometown to continue his development. I have an update on this. I saw on Twitter today he was linked with uh, Indy 11 okay. in the USL Championship. That makes some sense. Which would be in between where he's been playing, right? No, Atlanta United 2 were also in the Championship they were. last year. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, Indy 11 though is where I've most recently seen Andrew Carlton linked. It's not too late. The Andrew Carlton hype train could still have some coal in the engine. But I think James is correct that it does seem like a big part of this move is get him out of Atlanta, get him away from kind of comfortable uh, environs into a place where maybe he knows fewer people or the people he does know are maybe less problematic. Oh, because he was partying the night before MLS. He was indeed. Right. Mm -hmm. He was. That would be Um, my guess. Okay. Let's wrap up the Total Osaka show. I do just want to mention, big personal moment for me, hopefully in... What, 40 minutes? Yeah. Be playing soccer again for the first time in, I want to say, six months. Is that? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. I'm very, very um, excited. Um, if you want to know how it went, you could ask us about it on our <laughs> Ask Us Anything show, which we'll put the tweet out. Just respond to the tweet, um, and we will we will collate all the questions tomorrow. We will answer them in the car on the way to Baltimore. We're playing a like, like hybrid kind of futsal thing on a basketball court yes. uh, around the corner. Even with that why said, isn't it, why isn't it just straight futsal? We have a futsal ball. We have a because hard we don't court. really play out of bounds. <laughs> we we don't have out of bounds. We're we just sort of like yeah, just keep it going. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's the one violation. I only say that just to say I'm still coming in two footed on you. Fair enough. I'll be soul rolling my way <laughs> one direction or the other. Not telling you, and then I'm on my way to goal. <laughs> You're not going to tell me. No, <laughs> that's fair. Not going to tell you. Left.
Maybe. One of the directions. All right, Taylor Rockwell, (laughs) thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.